Part 2, Chapter 4 of Lillian by Arnold Bennett. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Simon Evers. Part 2, Chapter 4 The Vizier. Late in the afternoon of the following day, Mr. Grigg put his head inside the small room. I just come here, Miss Sher, he began, and then, seeing that Millicent was not at her desk, he appeared to decide that he might as well speak with Lillian where she was. He had been away from the office most of the day, and even during his presences had seemingly taken no part in its conduct. Much work had been received, some of it urgent, and Lillian, typing at her best speed, had the air of stopping with reluctance to listen to whatever the useless and wandering man might have to say. He merely said, "'We should close to-night, like last night.' "'Oh, but Mr. Grigg,' Lillian protested, and there was no sign of a tear this time, "'we can't possibly keep on closing.' "'We have one complaint this morning about being closed last night. "'I didn't tell you because I didn't want to worry you.' "'Now listen to me,' Mr. Grigg protested in his turn petulantly. "'Nothing worries me more than the idea that people are keeping things from me "'in order that I shan't be worried. "'My sister was always doing that. "'She was incurable, but I'm not going to have it from anyone else. "'If you hide things, why are you silly enough to let out afterwards "'that you were hiding them and why you were hiding them? "'That's what I can't understand.' "'Sorry, Mr. Grigg.' Lillian apologised briefly, and with sham humility, humouring the male in such a manner that he must know he was being humoured. His petulancy charmed her. It gave him youth, and gave her age and wisdom. He had good excuse for it. Miss Grigaby moved into a nursing home preparatory to an operation, and Gertie was stated to be very ill in his house. And she enjoyed excusing him. It was implicit in every tone of his voice that they were now definitely not on terms of employer and employee. "'That's all right, that's all right,' he said, mollified by her discreet smile. "'But close at six. I'm off.' "'I really don't think we ought to close,' she insisted, with firmness in her voice, followed by persuasion in her features. And she brushed back her hair with a gesture of girlishness that could not be ineffective. He hesitated, frowning. She went on. "'If it gets about that we're closing night after night, we're bound to lose a lot of customers. I can perfectly well stay here.' "'Yes, and be no use at all to-morrow.' "'I should be here to-morrow just the same. "'If other girls can do it, why can't I?' "'A touch of harshness in the question. "'Oh, Milly!' she exclaimed, "'neglecting to call Milly Miss Merrislate, "'according to the custom by which in talking to the principals "'everybody referred to everybody else as Miss. "'Oh, Milly!' "'Millicent appeared behind Mr. Grigg at the door, "'and he nervously made way for her. "'Here's Mr. Grigg wants to close again to-night. "'I'm sure we really oughtn't to.' "'I've told Mr. Grigg I'll stay, and be here to-morrow too. "'Don't you agree we mustn't close?' Millicent was flattered by the frank appeal as an equal from one whom she was already with annoyance, beginning to regard as a superior. From timidity in Mr. Grigg's presence, she looked down her too straight nose, but she nodded affirmatively her narrow head, and as soon as she had recovered from the disturbing novelty of deliberately opposing the policy of an employer, she said to Lillian, "'I'll stay with you if you like. There's plenty to do, goodness knows.' "'You are a dear,' Lillian exclaimed, just as if they had been alone together in the room. "'Oh, well, have it as you like,' Mr. Grigg rasped, and left, defeated. "'Is he vexed?' Minnie demanded after he had gone. "'Of course not. He's very pleased, really, but he has to save his face.' Minnie gave Lillian a scarcely conscious glance of admiration, as a woman better versed than herself in the mysteries of men, and also as a woman of unsuspected courage.' 
and she behaved like an angel through the whole industrious night, so much so that Lillian was nearly ready to admit to an uncharitable premature misjudgment of the girl. "'And now what are you going to do about keeping open?' inquired Mr. Grigg, with bland, grim triumph, the next afternoon, to the exhausted Lillian and the exhausted Millicent. "'I thought I'd let you have your own way last night, but you can't see any further than your noses, either of you. You're both dead.' "'I can easily stay up another night,' said Lillian, desperately. But Millicent said nothing. "'No doubt,' Mr. Grigg sneered. "'You look as if you could. And supposing you do, what about tomorrow night?' The whole office is upset, and, of course, people must go and choose just this time to choke us with work. "'Well, anyhow, we can't close,' Lillian stoutly insisted. "'No,' Mr. Grigg unexpectedly agreed. "'Miss Merrislate, you know most about the large room. You'd better pick two of them out of there, and tell them they must stay and do the best they can by themselves. But that won't carry us through. I certainly shan't sit up, and I won't have you two sitting up every second night in turn. There's only one thing to do.' "'I must engage two new typists at once. That's clear. We may as well face the situation. Where do we get them from?' But neither Lillian nor Millie knew just how Miss Grigg was in the habit of finding recruits to the staff. Each of them had been taken on through private connections. Gertie Jackson would probably have known how to proceed, but Gertie was down with influenza. "'I'll tell you what I shall do,' said Mr. Grigg at last. "'I'll get an advertisement into tomorrow's Daily Chronicle.' That ought to do the trick. This affair's got to be handled quickly. When the applicants come, you'd better deal with them, Miss Cher. In my room. I shall be here tomorrow. He spoke scornfully, and would not listen to offers of help in the matter of the advertisement. He would see to it himself, and wanted no assistance, indeed objected to assistance as being merely troublesome. The next day was the day of Miss Griggs' operation, and the apprehension of it maddened this affectionate and cantankerous brother. Millicent left the small room to bestow upon two chosen members of the ramble in the large room the inexpressible glory of missing a night's sleep. On the following morning, when Lillian refreshed, arrived zealously at the office half an hour earlier than usual, she found three aspirants waiting to apply for the vacant posts. The advertisement had been drawn up and printed, the newspaper had been distributed and read, and the applicants, pitifully eager, had already begun to arrive from the ends of London. Sitting in Miss Griggs' chair, Lillian nervously interviewed and examined them. One of the three gave her age as thirty-nine, and produced yellow to testimonials. By ten o'clock twenty-three suitors had come, and Lillian, frightened by her responsibilities, had impulsively engaged a couple, who took off hats and jackets and began to work at once. She had asked Millicent to approve of the final choice, but Millicent, intensely jealous and no longer comparable to even the lowest rank of angel, curtly declined. "'You're in charge,' Millicent said acidly. "'Don't you try to push it on to me, Miss Lillian Cher.' Aspirants continued to arrive. Lillian had the clever idea of sticking a notice on the outer door. All situations filled, no typists required. But aspirants continued to enter, and all of them averred positively that they had not seen the notice on the door. Lillian told a junior to paste four sheets of typing paper together, and she described the notice on the big sheet in enormous characters. But aspirants continued to enter, and all of them averred positively that they had not seen the notice on the door. It was dreadful, it was appalling, because Lillian was saying to herself, I may be like them one day. Millicent, on the other hand, disdained the entire procession and seized the agreeable role of dismissing applicants as fast as they came. In the evening Mr. Grigg appeared. 
The operation had been a success. Gertie Jackson was, if anything, a little worse, but the doctor anticipated an improvement. Mr. Grigg showed not the least interest in his business. Lillian took the night duty alone. Thenceforward the office settled gradually into its new grooves, and though there was much less efficiency than under Miss Grigg, there was little friction. Everybody, except Millicent, regarded Lillian as the Grand Vizier, and Millicent's demeanour towards Lillian was by turns fantastically polite and fantastically indifferent. A fortnight passed. The two patients were going on well, and it was stated that there was a possibility of them being sent together to Felixstowe for convalescence. Mr. Grigg's attendance grew more regular, but he did little except keep the books and make out the bills, in which matter he displayed a facility that amazed Lillian, who really was not a bit arithmetical. One day, entering the large room after hours, Lillian saw Millicent typing on a machine not her own. As she passed, she read the words, "'My darling Gertie, I simply can't tell you how glad I was to get your lovely letter.' and it flashed across her that Millicent would relate all the office doings to Gertie, who would relate them to Miss Grigg. He had a spasm of fear, divining that Millicent would misrepresent her. In what phrases had Millicent told that Lillian had sat in Miss Grigg's chair and interviewed applicants for situations? Was it not strange that Gertie had not written to her, Lillian, nor she even thought of writing to Gertie? Too late now for her to write to Gertie. A few days later Mr. Grigg said to Lillian in the small room, "'You're very crowded here, aren't you?' The two newcomers had been put into the small room, being of a superior sort and not fitted to join the rabble. "'Oh, no,' said Lillian, "'we're quite comfortable, thank you.' "'You don't seem to be very comfortable. It occurs to me it would be better in every way if you brought your machine into my room.' An impulse and an error of judgment on Felix's part. But he was always propitious. "'I should prefer to stay where I am,' Lillian answered, not smiling. What a letter Millicent would have written in order to describe Lillian's promotion to the principal's room. Often, having made a mistake, Felix would persist in it from obstinacy. "'Oh, as you like,' he muttered huffily, instead of recognising by his tone that Lillian was right. But the next moment he repeated, very softly and kindly, "'As you like, it's for you to decide.' He had not once shown the least appreciation of, or gratitude for, Lillian's zeal. On the contrary, he had been in the main querulous and censorious. But she did not mind. She was richly rewarded by a single benevolent inflection of that stirring voice. She seemed to have forgotten that she was born for pleasure, luxury, empire. Work fully satisfied her, but it was work for him. The mere suggestion that she should sit in his room filled her with deep joy. End of part two, chapter four.